Good morning. The scripture this morning is from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse the people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I have always enjoyed uh, reading military history. Are any of you with me, fellow military history readers, some of you? A few years ago, you may have seen this, the the BBC published an article entitled, The Monster Atomic Bomb That Was Too Big to Use. Of course, that got my attention. It was developed by the Soviet Union during the Cold War and tested on October 30th, 1961 at a range north of the Arctic Circle. It, It was called Tsar Bomba. And it was 26 feet long and 7 feet in diameter and weighed over 27 tons. And I quote, Zarbamba unleashed almost unbelievable energy when it was detonated, now widely agreed to be in the order of 57 megatons or 57 million tons of TNT. That is more than 1,500 times that of the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs combined and 10 times more powerful than all the estimated munitions expended during World War II. Sensors registered the bomb's blast wave orbiting the earth not once, not twice, but three times. It's not that long ago. So it's a big bomb, understatement, with some serious power. 
But you know, friends, something doesn't have to be that big, does it? To have crazy power. And from God's perspective, in fact, one of the smallest things in the world exerts an even greater and more eternally significant power. And that's called your tongue. That one little muscle that is in your mouth right now. And as a force of potential destruction, I would argue, it puts Zarbamba to shame. If you've been following our series in James, you know that since chapter 1, verse 18, James has been addressing different areas of life and showing us what it means to live as a Christian, to put our faith into practice as as spiritual new creations in Christ Jesus. And at the beginning of chapter 3, James introduces a new subject, a new topic, that he's going to keep coming back to again and again for the whole second half of this letter. And that is the words that come out of our mouth. So remember, one of the main goals of this entire letter is to expose something called spiritual deception. And that's the lie that thinks we're Christians when we're actually not, or that we're really mature Christians when we're not mature at all. And James knows, friends, that that one of the defining marks of genuine Christianity, of true religion, is self-control in our speech. It's one of the defining marks. Look at verse 2, because it summarizes the whole point of this passage. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Able also to bridle his whole body. You know, the first part of that verse, we all stumble in many ways, reminds us of what? That the perfection James speaks of in the second half of that verse is only going to be attained where? In heaven. We will all be stumbling in many ways until we see the Lord. Pastors included. We're never going to completely stop sinning. Our, Our speech is part of that. But that does not mean, friends, that we say, oh, well, that's comforting. How about let go and let God? No. No, the the, the grace of God, the, the unmerited favor of God, the power of God in your life, expressed through the indwelling Holy Spirit, is even now, as Paul says in Titus 2.12, training you, Christian, to do something. To what? To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So we do not say, given we're all stumble in many ways, who cares about stumbling? We say what? We humbly say we all stumble in many ways, our speech included, and then we what? We look to Jesus for grace and power and help outside of ourselves to stumble less and less and less to the glory of God. So this perfect self-control in our speech is not presently attainable in full, but it is nonetheless the biblical goal for which we strive. 
Because God is glorified when you grow in self-control, friend. He is. And God will be faithful to help you grow in self-control. And listen to this. God will hold you accountable for every word that comes out of your mouth. It's a big deal. You know, James introduces this subject in verse 1 with with this warning to would-be teachers in the church that's built on a warning Jesus gives to all of us. So don't go saying, ah, thank God I'm not a teacher. Best of luck, Matthew. No. Matthew 12, 36. Jesus says, I tell you, all of y'all, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So so the fact that we will all be judged by the words we speak should make those of us who serve as teachers especially circumspect. Careful. Why? Well, it's because of what I'm doing right now, right? I'm trafficking in words. Lots of words. Teachers specialize in words, and and their words have an outsized influence on people as a result of their calling to teach. And that comes with a warning from Jesus in Luke 12, 48. Everyone to whom much was given, including teachers in the church, who have a significant influence, to whom much was given, of much will be required by the Lord. And so self-control in your speech matters, friend, because no matter who you're speaking to or writing or typing or texting, God is listening and God is reading and God will hold you accountable. And if he's called you to teach, especially as an elder, you do not ultimately answer to this congregation or to the regional ordination committee I serve on. <laughs> you are accountable to God. So remembering God will judge every word is critical. We got to start there. We are accountable because we're creatures if we're going to think biblically about our tongue. But, but notice, that's not the main point James is making here, okay? It's an important point, not the main point. His main concern is that we would recognize diligence in controlling our tongue is an essential mark of Christian maturity. So the character of our speech, in other words, is, is a case study. It's a, a key spiritual indicator, if you want to think of it that way, for the spiritual health of the whole person. Look again at verse 2. As James says, if you're able to guard your tongue, you're able to bridle, to control your whole body. In other words, if you can exercise self-control in your speech, you're bound to exercise, or at least have the ability to exercise, self-control in other areas of life. His point is that godliness in our speech is a reliable evidence of godliness across the board. It's that important. So, think about this. What is it about the tongue that makes it so important? What what is it that makes self-control of our speech so critical and necessary? Well, James gives us three answers to that question, okay? Here's the first. Point number one, the tongue has disproportionate power or power immeasurably greater than its relatively small size, okay? Disproportionate power. I had to look this up. I didn't know it. I'm not the all-knowing Matthew by any stretch. Did you know the tongue weighs 60 to 70 grams? That's all. How much did Zarbamba weigh? 
27 tons. So, really small, really large. But James is arguing that the power of the tongue is really big, even though it is so small. He says it's like a bit in the mouth of a horse. It's small, but that bit determines which way the entire animal goes. Or he says it's like a rudder on a large ship. Your tongue is like that. Have you ever seen a rudder on a ship? It it can seem so insignificant compared to the size of the sails and the power of the, the wind that's filling them, yet whichever way the pilot turns that rudder, what happens? That's the way the ship goes. The whole ship. So bottom line, verse 5, the tongue is a small member. It's 60 to 70 grams. It's really small. Yet it boasts of or accomplishes great things. That The power that it holds is disproportionate to its small size. And think about it. Whether or not you're a Christian listening to me, I hope you recognize even your own experience confirms James is dead on. Right? So, so think about the, word, the effect of the words your parents spoke to you when you were growing up. You know, whether for good or ill, they're tremendously powerful. Or for those of you who play sports, okay, think about the the impact that your coach's words can have on you if you've had a really rough first half as a team. You know, your coach's words can send you back out with fear and trembling, hoping he subs you as fast as possible because you're terrified of him, or he can send you back out, you know what, we got this, we're going to have a good half. It's powerful. Or think about the words of encouragement from a, a teacher, school teacher, or a college professor. Now, at the right time, they, they can actually determine the, the whole vocational trajectory of your life. Or how about, how about a spiritual word of correction from a brother or sister in Christ who, who cares for you? What, what can that do? That can set you back on the path of following Jesus that leads to heaven. Or how about gracious words of patience and forbearance? If you're married, talking to your spouse, what do those do? Well, that'll set your marriage on track to grow and thrive. But what if if your words to your spouse are are marked by harshness and retaliation and, and belittling them? Well, what do that do? Well, that'll turn your marriage on track toward disaster and divorce. Words. The words of a good friend can raise your spirits. The words of an enemy can crush you. You get that text or that email and you feel like, physically, I got sucker punched. Right? James' point is that the words we speak are not benign. They're not neutral. They're not of little account. They are endowed with great power to do great good or great harm. But, but sometimes, don't we do this, friends? We, we con ourselves into thinking otherwise, especially if like our words are on trial, right? So, so it goes like this. You know, maybe use some thoughtless or insensitive words, and, but then we kind of excuse that by saying, well, yeah, I probably said some things I shouldn't have said, but you know, they said some things they shouldn't have said too. And it was just kind of an emotional moment for everybody. So I just don't understand. Whenever you say that, you should be, that's a problem. I just don't understand why they have to get so bent out of shape by, it was just words. Like, okay, sorry, get over it. 
We can think like that. But you, you know what? You'll, you'll never hear the captain of an aircraft carrier powered by nuclear energy say, it's just the rudder. Get over it. No. That man knows that it's the most influential part of the whole ship. And friends, your words are just the same. Whether you want them to or not, your words coming out of your mouth will determine the entire course of your life. And many people around you. King David knew that. And so what did he say in Psalm 34 verse 12? What man is there who desires life and loves many good days that he may see good? You, you want a long life filled with blessing? We're not talking about the fact on other people, just yourself, okay? What should you do? Answer, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. So as your tongue goes, so your life goes. Bottom line, don't underestimate the power of your words. And as I was thinking about this this week, I, the Lord brought to mind a, a verse that I have memorized and prayed countless times. As I think about the influence of my words when I am typing or speaking or preaching or writing, and that's, that's Paul's word in Ephesians 4.29. Some of you know this. What does he say? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is helpful or good for, for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. If that, you need, we need to make that our aim, friends, right? To use our words, great and small, to give grace. God did not give you a tongue as your creator, and Christ Jesus did not redeem our tongues by his blood so that we could have a muscle to vent with. He gave it to you and me so that it might serve as a mighty channel of his grace to everybody around you. That's what God is up to. He has a purpose for your mouth. Proverbs 18, 21 reminds us, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits either way. So why is self-control in our speech critical? Why, why is it important? First reason, because the tongue has disproportionate power. Here's the second. The tongue works tremendous evil. Works tremendous evil. James has been building to this and, and he camps out here in verses five to eight. So, so the effect of our words, we've already seen this, right? Some of the illustrations I've used, cuts one of two ways. It either builds up or it tears down. And James camps out on the tears down part in this section, beginning with an example of another small thing that has a really big effect. I love the word pictures in this, right? Like, I don't need to bring illustrations to this passage. They're just loaded with them. What's he saying we should consider? The spark that ignites a forest fire. Did you know, back to history examples, on July 30th, 2003, a poor guy named Michael Barr tossed a cigarette butt near his home in British Columbia that quickly caught the grass around his house on fire. And he freaked out. And he called 911, or whatever it is in Canada. 
And he tried to put it out, but he couldn't. It took off. And it burned for 75 days and destroyed 65,285 acres of forest. 72 private homes, nine businesses, cost 31 million to extinguish and required the evacuation of 3,800 Canadians. Now look at verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. He's talking about your tongue. Because absent God's work in our life, our tongue becomes exactly like that cigarette butt. That spark. It's it's a fire, verse 6. It has the power to speak sometimes a single word that can ruin and destroy a marriage, a friendship, a relationship, a church and sometimes even an entire nation. You know, in, in, in the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament, chapter 12, we, we read the story of how the nation of Israel was, was split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, or Judah. And it's really a sad chapter in Israel's history, if you're not familiar with it. And it all happened as a result of what? result of a reply that King Solomon's son, Rehoboam, gave to the northern tribe. So he's from Judah. He took over after his dad, Solomon, died. He replied to the northern tribes with these words when they requested a reprieve, a break, from all the forced labor that was going down. Rehoboam and the king answered the people harshly, forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him, that's never good. He spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, that's often trouble, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. When all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, the northern tribes, What portion do we have in David? We've got no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look to your own house, David. And that moment began centuries of conflict and division and war and death and destruction ending in exile. It's 14 words in Hebrew, if you count them. That's all Rehoboam said. Gone. Which is no wonder, James says, look at verse 6, where he says the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. I mean, did, did you know that every one of the sins addressed in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, find expression in some way in the tongue? You ever think about that? So our our tongue is an accomplice to murder when we use it to speak words of hatred to other people. Our our tongue is an accomplice to adultery when you use it to convince someone else to engage in sexual immorality with you. Our, Our tongue is an accomplice in belittling God when we use it to take his name in vain. You know, the list goes on. And if you think about 
the sins that most tend to get us in trouble, right? Things like anger, pride, impatience, anxiety, you know, you name it. Every one of them has some sort of verbal expression, doesn't it? And, and words of anger or pride or impatience or anxiety, they, they, they don't just hang out there. Oh, look, there's the International Space Station followed by an angry word, <laughs> you know? No, okay? They, unaddressed, produce spiritual and relational damage of a life-altering sort. That's what James is saying. Your tongue can set what? On fire the entire course of your life, your whole future. So you, so you can regret your words. You can apologize for your words. But, but the relational and spiritual consequences of our words, they remain, don't they? You can't apologize that away. They're like a stain that can't come out on your clothes. They, they leave their mark, he says. And all of that destructive activity, as James reminds us, it's not surprising. It, it's not random. It's not, well, sheesh, how did my words set that relationship on fire? I don't know. Riddle me that. No. What, it's not at all a surprise because it's the direct result of the works and effects of God's arc enemy, Satan himself, right? The tongue, James says, is set on fire by hell. Now, please listen carefully to me. That does not mean we get to excuse our sin by saying, oops, the devil got my tongue. Don't go there. Don't excuse your sin that way. When James says our tongue is set on fire by hell, he means that the sin that we, we commit, we commit with our mouths, every time we tear someone down instead of building them up, that's an act of destruction aided and abetted by the evil one himself. That's what he's saying. Because Satan's a cunning enemy. And he knows that if he can simply get you to not control your tongue, that the sinful nature on your heart will take care of all the rest. <laughs> And do serious damage for the kingdom of darkness. Think about that. Verse 6 reminds us that even our smallest moments of speech are part and parcel of a much greater spiritual battle going on. Where there's only two choices. Remember I said earlier, neutral words don't exist. Well, here are the two options, okay? You can use your tongue to advance the redemptive cause of King Jesus and his kingdom work on earth. Or your tongue will be used to advance the cause of Satan. Every word goes one of two ways. There's no, oh, well, that's just neutral. No, there's no neutrality here. All our words work in one direction or another. That's why our speech is so significant. And we can tame, as James says, all kinds of animals as human beings. But, but you know what we have yet to figure out how to fully tame? It's our tongue, Right? our tongue. It's a restless evil. Look at verse 8. Full of deadly poison. So I, I want you to think about it this way, friends. Okay? In whatever situation you find yourself, no matter what is going on or who is with you, you have czar bomba in your mouth. You do. 
Think about it. If you knew you had a nuclear bomb in your purse or in your backpack, kids, we just like, hey, welcome home. <laughs> Whoops, missed that hook. No, no, if, if you knew you had a, you know, a little vial of, I don't know, cyanide in your shirt pocket, would you just run up, hey, good to see you, bear hugs? No, you, you wouldn't go charging. You would be very, 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 very careful. You wouldn't run into conversations online, I'm thinking, and start typing furiously with your hands. You wouldn't charge into the kitchen and start giving your, pal- your spouse a piece of your mind that has been long coming. <laughs> you wouldn't say whatever you feel like saying to your friends in the name of being, I don't know, real or authentic. You would be very, very careful. Remember that. You've got Tsar Bomba. And if we don't choose to remember that and control our tongues accordingly, James' point here is that they will exercise irreparable evil. So our self-control is really important, okay? Because the tongue has disproportionate power, it works tremendous evil. We'll end with this answer. Point three, the tongue reveals our true spiritual condition. Focusing here on verses 9 to 12. You know, this restless evil of our tongues, absent the Lord's work in our life, it's readily perceived somewhere. It's readily perceived in the duplicity and the hypocrisy of what we often do with it. Look at verse 9. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Have you ever done that, friend? Have you ever sung the praises of God on Sunday morning, like we just did, and then gone home and that very afternoon used the gift of speech that your Creator has entrusted to you to bite and devour and destroy somebody? I've done that after I've preached on topics like this, right? Gone home and harsh words to my boys because they got to get in line and I've been patient for long enough. It's really sobering and humbling. And as James says, brothers and sisters, it should not be. Why not? Because of the, the duplicitous or divided nature of our tongues that honor God one minute and then denigrate and destroy his image bearers the very next minute reveals the duplicitous and spiritually divided nature of our heart. Calling into question, left unaddressed and unrepented, the very integrity of your relationship with God. They do. As Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? 
So, so if your words are characterized by anger or gossip or boasting or self-pity or, or some other sin of the tongue, you need to recognize something. Please hear this, friend. You do not just have a speech problem. You have a heart problem. That's critical. You need Jesus to transform you from the inside out. And, and following Jesus doesn't mean you suddenly get this cool benefit with your speech where, where he just, God didn't control your mouth. <laughs> and all that, I hate you, I love you. You know, he doesn't, you don't become a marionette. He won't take control of your mouth or automatically change what you say. But if you cast yourself on his mercy and cry out to Jesus for help, my friend, what will he do? He will change your heart. (laughs) He'll change your desires. He'll, He'll change who you are on the inside so that the verbal overflow of your speech is pleasing to him. And so James is warning us, don't deceive yourself into thinking that you're right with God or it's well with your soul if you're consistently using your tongue to tear down and hurt people around you. That's his point. A fig tree doesn't produce olives. A grapevine doesn't produce figs or a salt pond doesn't produce fresh water. A tree is known by its fruit. And the relationship between our hearts and our tongues is exactly the same. An evil heart produces evil speech. A pure heart produces pure speech. So, so I want you to think of your tongue like a mirror. It's a mirror. It's a place that you look to find out how your heart stands, your spiritual relationship stands with God himself. And that is really important because the solution to this destructive power isn't just learning to bite your tongue. That's the best the world's got. You realize that. To just go to some anger management classes. That, that will never deal with the root of the issue. Because the problem isn't a speech problem. It's a heart problem. Which means the solution is asking Jesus to change your heart. Because when your heart's right with God, choice words of life and grace will follow. And that is another reason that the gospel is such good news, Right? Because the gospel tells us that Jesus came to do just that. He came to change our hearts, to give you new power, his power imparted by his spirit to use your tongue to bring life instead of death. Jesus wants to do that in you, friend. He's able to do that. Proverbs 12, 18 says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise the tongue of the man who comes to God and says, Jesus, change my heart. That tongue brings healing. James' whole point is that diligence in controlling our tongue is an essential test of Christian maturity. That's the point. And that means that we need to stop excusing sins of our tongue as idle words because they're not their their death or life, both for the one who speaks them and all who hear them. So, so if as I'm I'm speaking on this friend, if the Lord is convicting you by His Spirit, if he, if He's bringing to mind a conversation that you've had this week, or something you posted on Facebook, or an interaction with a friend where 
where you didn't give grace. You set things on fire. I don't want you to stop with feeling bad right now. Okay? That's not the goal. The goal is to confess our sin to the Lord. And then to ask that person to forgive us without excuse or justification. And then to share our struggle with a Christian friend or pastor who can help us grow. You know, because in many ways, conclude with this, we know, at least many times we know, what words are right and what words are wrong. We know that. We're we're all too aware of their impact because we live with the consequences. Where we get stuck is knowing how do I engage the sinful desires in my heart that give rise to my speech? How do I engage those things with the truth of the gospel? And that is a whole nother sermon. (laughs) And it is also where we have the privilege of helping one another, okay? So, So let's make our tongues, church, an area of our life where we say help to God by saying help to each other. So together, we can help each other learn to run to Jesus to change our hearts so that we can speak grace and life with our tongue. Let's pray and ask for his help. Lord Jesus, we need you to take our hearts and give us a humility that stops minimizing the power of our words or excusing the effect of our words and agrees with you when you say our tongues are crazy powerful. Lord, you know our tendency to fixate on the words other people have spoken that hurt us and to completely ignore the words we speak that hurt others. We like to do that because then we get to feel like a victim. It makes us feel better about ourselves sometimes. But what we really need right now is humility that would respond to your spirit when you convict us of using our speech as a czar bomba. And I pray, Lord, that whether young or old, you would help us to use our tongues this week to give grace to those who hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.